Welcome to the Freedom Formula for Physicians podcast, where it's all about slashing your debt, slashing your taxes, and creating a liberated lifestyle. And now, your host, who met his wife while training for the 400 meters in Seattle and is eating gluten-free while lusting after bread, Dave Deniston. Welcome back, my friends. This is Dave Deniston, your host, the host of the Freedom Formula for Physicians podcast. And in this podcast, my friends, we've interviewed experts of all kinds, experts on debt and burnout and real estate and taxes. Our next guest, he is someone that comes from the healthcare field. Uh, as a matter of fact, just a few months ago on June 30th, he stepped away from a hospital system after 20 years. And he really had this desire to give providers a forum, to give healthcare executives a forum, to help bridge the gap between this, seems like ever widening chasm between the two. As a matter of fact, he actually recently started a podcast, the Caring for Healthcare podcast. Please help me welcome Alan Kopik from Adminology Bay and the Caring for Healthcare podcast. Welcome, Alan. Thank you, David. I am thrilled and excited to be with you on your podcast today. Uh, this, is a, this is a real honor for me. So thank you for having me. Well, it's my pleasure, my friend. And uh, of course, a lot of listeners may not be familiar with who you are quite yet. So just tell us a bit about you and your journey, my friend. I will absolutely do that. Uh, I am a I'm a Kentucky guy, uh, came from Ohio originally, but got to Kentucky to go to college in 1984, graduated in 1987 with a data processing science degree, uh, uh, worked for my alma mater, uh, University of the Cumberland in Williamsburg, Kentucky, uh, for about seven years after graduation, uh, helped raise money. Uh, Dr. Jim Taylor, the president of the University of the Cumberland uh, for 30-plus uh, years, um, uh, was my uh, was my mentor and boss in the in the higher education space uh, during that seven year period and I learned a ton uh, about raising dollars for uh, private organizations like uh, like an incredible uh, small university um, and uh, it was a great stepping stone for me I took my first healthcare job in 1984 I was in the home health business and uh, I had some uh, reasonable financial uh, skills and so they put me in charge of, uh, of a lot of the finance duties uh, from payroll to accounts payable for about 250 employees in five locations in a home health business. Did that for three years, helped that organization start a new company for IT. That was another one of my, uh, one of my strengths uh, uh, in the training uh, from college. And, and so uh, in the mid-1990s, from about 94 to 97, uh, uh, just loved helping a, a home health uh, organization uh, connect all of their offices, uh, uh, with a with a wide area network, um, and uh, and that was a that was a focus. Uh, 1998, I uh, had my first uh, opportunity in the hospital world as a vice president for ancillary and support services for a 273 bed uh, regional medical center uh, in southeastern Kentucky, uh, a rural area of Kentucky. Uh, most would call this Appalachia. Um, it's a beautiful, wonderful area with incredible people. Um, so that was 1998. Uh, for six years, I uh, 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 led those departments and became uh, uh, passionate about uh, securing and uh, making stronger uh, our hospitals that serve rural America. 
Um, and uh, 2004, uh, I had the opportunity to, to found or start uh, a new hospital, a specialty or specially designated hospital called an LTAC, Long-Term Acute Care Hospital. It's a Medicare designation as a, a hospital that treats uh, uh, highly complex, uh, multiple comorbidity patients. These are patients that are uh, very, very sick uh, and um, won't get better uh, and be able to safely leave the acute level of care um, uh, uh, in just a few days. They need several weeks of acute level care. And uh, so the, the LPPS, the Prospective Payment System for Long-Term Acute Care Hospitals, is the uh, primary payer for uh, from Medicare for these uh, for these types of hospitals and so I started one in 2004 for our our, our community and for uh, my organization uh, um, and uh, led it successfully for 13 years uh, and uh, the uh, final three years uh, were our most successful years uh, uh, in the entire history of our organization we um, but we were increasing uh, with, with some other challenges and I can get into those in a in a, in a bit. Yeah, no, this will be great. I think one of the, the things that, that I've picked up that you and I were, were talking about over time that is available to a lot of physicians are debt forgiveness programs, of which uh, certainly there are some specific rural ones, so we'll definitely have to touch on that and, and your experience with that. One of the things that, that you told me that I thought was fascinating before we got started with the podcast was in your hospital, that you had a physician shortage um, right. that you were you were having to deal with, and maybe I misunderstood this, but did you guys have to turn down patients at one particular point because of of, of those difficulties? Absolutely, most of the last year, uh, uh, from from uh, uh, second quarter of 2016 through uh, through June of 2017. Um, we uh, every month uh, were were not able to help some patients that really needed our level of care and preferred to come to our our uh, our facility um, due to just not having enough physicians to accept uh, accept attending duties on on those patients. Uh, so my my worst month was the month of May. We had 63 patients referred to us. Again, these patients come to us directly from ICU uh, critical care units, um, that very high level of care in the short-term acute care hospitals. Uh, we had 63 patients referred to us and we were only able to admit 14. Now we would never, in any, in any given month, we would never have uh, been able to take uh, all 63, but we would have taken between 35 and 40 uh, and instead we were only able to, to admit about 14 of those. Um, and that really hurt my heart uh, because it's not, uh, that's not a good thing when a when a hospital is uh, is effective uh, and uh, efficient as as we are and uh, with the, uh, enjoying the uh, high level of physician um, our patient satisfaction that we did and and uh, our referral our referral hospitals about a dozen hospitals around us um, preferred to send their very sick highly complex patients to us. Um, uh, we were their, their LTAC of choice, if you will. It really was tough, and we had to uh, uh, miss caring for uh, so many of those patients that were being referred to us. And what I knew was <clears throat> that if we, didn't, if we didn't figure out a way to fix the challenge of, uh, of this uh, physician shortage or this uh, 
physician uh, issue that we were having, not enough doctors in our rural area, um, that, that there wasn't going to be any hospitals that could survive. I, I've told my team for years, David, that um, uh, whenever we'd have a challenge with a particular doctor, um, uh, maybe they um, uh, were difficult to deal with or uh, they would get angry. Uh, um, uh, when I, I would tell my team when we were trying to, to process all of that, I'd say, remember this. Uh, doctors can do a lot of amazing things for people uh, without a hospital anywhere around. Um, they really can. They can help help uh, patients uh, in a in a lot of really great ways, and not even have a hospital. Um, but hospitals can do next to nothing uh, with with no physicians or not enough physicians, and uh, and that's how we try to work our way through. Um, uh, the challenges whenever we, we would run into challenges. Thankfully, it happened uh, infrequently, um, uh, and there were points at which if a physician was, uh, uh, was, went past the, uh, the line, uh, then, then I had to, uh, to get involved and, and uh, to, to essentially you know, um, set, set a different set of expectations for them. Um, but sometimes it was just they were having a rough day, and, uh, and maybe they were gruff or uh, difficult um, uh, in our communicating with them. And uh, so I tried to remind my team that uh, uh, we need these doctors. They're very precious resources to us. Well, here's here's what I'm wondering as we, we look at this sort of situation. I, I could go into all sorts of questions in terms of what happened to the patients, but just to stay focused on um, this this journey that you've been on and, and how this might impact physicians what has it been like in terms of just trying to keep a place like this afloat? You know, I have to imagine with a lot of pressures on reimbursements and things like that, that financially just trying to keep the hospital alive had to be difficult from time to time, let alone you know, keeping patients and, and stuff like that. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, you you have you have hit the challenge, uh, and uh, truly. And one of my uh, one of my uh, messages that I, I try to convey to, to physicians, and I have some just uh, wonderful friends uh, who've who've uh, uh, who are doctors, and uh, and uh, when they when they are at a, a, a point of frustration, I I try to help them a, a number of ways with messaging, and and one of the uh, uh, the things that I that I try to, to help them with is some some of the business side of healthcare. Um, mm-hmm. So if if anybody's interested, I, I've written some blog posts recently uh, about the realities of the economics of healthcare. I just uh, released a an ebook called um, uh, Adminology Bay's Practical Healthcare Economics 101, and this is not an academic. Uh, uh, resource uh, in any way. It's a practical guide to the un- to understanding what's happened to um, the financial piece of healthcare in our country. Uh, and the concept that I that I focus on in this uh, in this uh, basically a, a twelve page uh, ebook. Um, the concept that I focus on is the is risk and uh, financial risk. That is, um, and so as risk shifts from patients to providers, which which happened in the mid 20th century as uh, as uh, healthcare education, uh, 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 provider education uh, increased in its availability. We had more and more physicians. We had more and more uh, effective remedies. Uh, 
from pharmacy remedies to uh, care remedies to therapy re- remedies, um, uh, patients uh, were able to shift some of the risk for their health care, um, their, their health, essentially, the financial component of their health, uh, to providers, uh, providers to say, well, you know, we'll, we'll accept a payment to, to help you with that chronic issue uh, or that uh, injury um, uh, or disease. So, so we started seeing patients access health care services for a fee. And, uh, and, and then risk began to shift further when those uh, fees became too difficult to pay. Uh, then payers gladly got into the mix. And so we had patients uh, shifting the risk of their health and their treatment to um, from from just bur- bearing the burden of that themselves uh, to uh, to providers, then to payers uh, and payers insurance companies uh, would would get into the mix and say we're we're happy to accept that risk or part of that financial risk, and then there was a three-legged stool essentially of of the division of risk between patients, providers, and and payers. What's happened uh, most recently is that payers are, are beginning now to say, we, we have too much of the risk, so we're going to offload some of that risk back onto patients via higher copays and higher deductibles so that the patient has a, has a financial stake. It's no longer going to be whatever happens to you, we'll pay for it. Uh, now there are um, financial triggers to uh, hopefully, um, and I, I get the reasoning behind it, hopefully cause patients to be more engaged with their own health and the choices that they make uh, because there's a financial component um, and, a, and kind of a, um, a cost associated with making poor choices. Um, anyway, so uh, the, the, the ebook is something I had a lot of fun putting together. Uh, the whole idea is to give that business side or or some of the, uh, the economics uh, side from a practical standpoint um, make that available to, uh, to patients and physicians as well. Um, uh, so the reality of, uh, I wrote a blog post a couple of weeks ago called uh, uh, Revenue Minus Margin Equals Expense. Uh, margin is, that, is that, that holy grail that every uh, physician practice or every hospital uh, hopes to attain. That's the margin. Uh, uh, to have a positive margin means I don't spend more than I bring in. Uh, right. That's a positive margin. And uh, so uh, one of the things I try to help my physician friends understand is that there is no um, option uh, that, that an organization must be sustainable if it's going to stay. Uh, and in today's healthcare environment, that's harder and harder to do. But what I love seeing is when physicians become partners with uh, the organizations they're part of uh, to try to understand what are the key drivers of the success of that hospital or that practice. And when they begin asking those kinds of questions, they they actually um, get very engaged with uh, making sure that they're contributing to uh, successful outcomes for those drivers. So... um, so my, my blog post, revenue minus margin equals expense, the whole concept of um, you, 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 you know what the organization's margin target is because the budget tells us that. Uh, and, and that should give us then the expenses, what's left over is what we have to deploy. And we need great, uh, great partnerships with physicians uh, to, uh, to be able to come through that uh, successfully and make sure we protect the viability of the organization. So 
What about for you when you were were in charge of the hospital? What what were some of the things that you were running into that became difficulties uh, when you're dealing with this Medicare type facility? Right. Well, the uh, clearly Medicare uh, intentionally pays uh, below pays hospitals uh, essentially below their cost. That's that's the concept. Uh, that, uh, that, that Medicare is interested in paying below the cost. So you say, well, how do they know what a hospital's cost is? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, every year, uh, every hospital um, has to produce, uh, every hospital that takes Medicare patients has to produce an annual cost report. And that cost report uh, essentially uh, drills down into um, uh, uh, the, the, uh, the cost elements of the organization and ends up with a very key number at the end. And that number is called cost-to-charge ratio. The acronym is CCR. The cost-to-charge ratio for a hospital is Medicare's uh, understanding of what the ratio of charge to cost is, or cost-to-charge is. So, um, so, for instance, for every $100 that a, uh, that a hospital bills Medicare for a service, um, you'll see their ratio, their cost ratio being, uh, I've seen as low as uh, the high teens, 18, 19%, which would mean um, and for every $100 in charge, uh, the, the true cost of, of delivering that service is 18 to $19. And then I've seen it uh, in the mid, mid-40s to mid-50s uh, percentage-wise. So there's a wide degree of variance. Well, all, all it comes, uh, comes down to is um, Medicare wants to know every hospital's cost structure. Uh, and then as they begin to develop uh, next year and the, and the next two years payment policy, uh, they want to make payment um, uh, reimbursement policies that, uh, that allow them to pay uh, as close uh, uh, to, that, to that ratio as possible. So, um, so for $100 of charged services, if the, if the cost charge ratio is $18, Medicare over time and across the universe of hospitals will try to get their uh, their capitated payments down to that $18 level, um, and uh, and what they think is that hospitals will make up for that uh, in their commercial contracting. So Anthem and Blue, you know Anthem Blue Cross and Humana and Aetna, uh, these commercial payers uh, through contracting with uh, those commercial payers, uh, that hospitals will be able to get their margin, their positive margin from those contracts. The rub is, uh, and anybody who's listening and is thoughtful will know the rub is well what if a hospital is in a rural area and their primary payers are Medicare and Medicaid uh, it makes it very very difficult but it's also rewarding and, and uh, I'll tell you the physicians that choose uh, uh, our area to practice in find some of the most rewarding work um, is you know in a, in a rural area like ours we are a very unhealthy uh, population a lot of chronic issues chronic disease issues uh, uh, you know, a lot of uh, uh, drug issues, um, uh, obesity, uh, diabetes, uh, heart conditions, respiratory issues. Um, if, if there were ever a compelling, uh, uh, compelling case for a physician to wanting to make sure that their work means much, uh, they can certainly find that value in a place, uh, in a place like, uh, like we are in. Interesting. Well, I think that's, that's a fascinating perspective and something that uh, we can all appreciate having, having to deal with, with uh, those challenges. All right. Well, let's take a pause here for a second and go to our commercial break. 
Maybe you're sitting here right now wondering, how am I ever going to be able to pay off this debt? Or maybe you're thinking, I am so confused by this financial lingo. I need to get a better handle on this financial stuff. Or maybe you are thinking of buying your first home or getting a new job, or maybe you are wondering how you can keep insurance cheap. And that's why my friends, this month I have a very special announcement for you. My newest book, The Young Physician's Guide to Money and Life is about to become available. We've been at this for years and it is coming out soon. The Young Physician's Guide to Money and Life. This book is over 300 pages and it is packed with tons and tons of actionable content. It's pretty much everything you need to think about financially. Whether you're a medical student, a resident, a fellow, a newly minted attending, or even a longer term practicing physician. So here's what you need to do. Text Dr. Book to 44222. And I will let you know the second it is available to buy. As a matter of fact, I'll even give you a discount. This book, my friends, it's co-authored with past podcast guests, John Apino from Contract Diagnostics and Amanda Liu from Dr. Wiseman. When you buy the book, you are not only investing in your financial future, you are also taking part in a really important charitable mission. And that's because the profits of the Young Physician's Guide to Money and Life will be given to the Physician's Support Initiative and to the college funds for Amanda's daughter. And we're doing this because you may remember that Amanda tragically passed away about a year ago. And this charitable mission is being done in her memory. Because this charitable mission is so, so, so important to me, I'm only gonna offer this discount through the end of the year. And then we're gonna sell the book at retail price because we wanna raise as much money as we possibly can. So to snag your copy now, text Dr. Book to 44222. Again, text Dr. Book to 44222. And now back to the show. One of the things we were talking about pre podcast uh, hitting the record button was uh, this idea of, of recruiters and how recruiters get paid and, and how you as an executive were viewing that when it came to finding physicians. So I'd love for you to delve a little more into that, Alan, to take us behind the curtain from your perspective of what it was like dealing with recruiters. Absolutely. Thank you, David. Uh, so I, I, uh, I, I, uh, I know that every physician and every hospital uh, is really grappling and thinking through how, how am I going to reduce my cost? Uh, because that's what the requirement is. Um, our, our American uh, voter uh, told us that in the last, in 2016's uh, round of elections, um, uh, one of the key issues that, that, uh, that, that, that prompted voters was um, that they were tired of seeing their, their health care premiums uh, increase year over year in, in double-digit form. Uh, so 10, 10% or more increases in their, in their portion of their health care premium that they, that they were responsible to pay. Uh, and I think America said that's enough. Uh, when is somebody going to get serious about reducing the cost? Well, mm-hmm. so for me, I started thinking, well, where can we reduce the cost? I see a ripe and, uh, and uh, uh, um, very uh, interesting area in the area of uh, recruitment and recruitment, traditional recruitment firms, which charge a fee to, to find a physician or an executive for a hospital uh, position that's open and available. 
And uh, for a physician, the fee can be, uh, um, you know, even for a hospitalist, an internal medicine, uh, board-certified internal medicine or family practice physician uh, that, that would take on a hospitalist duty at a, at a hospital, the fee to bring one of those doctors and fill a physician could be uh, all in about $50,000. If it's a specialist, a uh, highly uh, uh, sought-after specialist like cardiologist or or a, or a, a pulmonologist, um, the fee can go uh, much higher than the fifty thousand uh, dollars. So to me, that's just uh, that's just a, a fee I have to really question. You know, where is the value? Where, where is the recruiter bringing value to healthcare by being that middleman or middlewoman in the process of identifying physicians or physicians identifying organizations that they want to be part of? I don't think we need that expense, um, and I really question. And I, I've, I've written pretty extensively about about this in my uh, in my blogging. Um, I really question uh, that that is an, an expense that truly makes sense anymore. That more that that more likely, a physician is plenty intelligent enough uh, to to figure out if there's an alignment between their values and an organization's values. And, and to know whether that is an attractive place, uh, a group of people for them to, to, to line up with and become uh, uh, attached to um, a particular organization or an opportunity. <clears throat> so I, well, um, I, I would – well, let me interrupt you. Um, yeah. So the, I have to think that something like that – I mean, it certainly helps to a degree – but my my first kind of initial reaction to that, my gut, is that that's a one-time expense, right? And and hopefully you have someone that's there for a long time. Uh, from your experience, are you finding that there's a lot of turnover, or mm-hmm. is, is why do you think that's such a, a big number? Because um, to me, I think about that, and it, it seems like obviously it helps, but that in the big scheme of things that that has to be a relatively small expense relative to everything well, else in the universe it uh, in the universe of 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 hospital expenses um <clears throat> it is it is on the it you know it's not it's not enormous but it's multi-billion dollars of billions of dollars uh every year the top five uh, uh healthcare or physician recruitment firms last year uh, was reported in 2016 had revenues related to their recruitment of five billion dollars that's just the top five firms uh, and there are literally a hundred plus of these physician recruitment firms that are operating right now in our country we're talking many billions of dollars my my approach or my ask the, the, the challenge that I have with with that is that it's an, ex, an expense we don't need and uh, uh, it's not the only one but it's uh, it's one that I think is germane to uh, uh, to, to your audience um, uh, I have and and when I talk with physicians who have dealt with recruiters, I don't often find one that is delighted by how they were treated. Uh, they felt undervalued. The ones that I've spoken with have felt undervalued. They felt like they were being pushed into, uh, into a position that maybe they didn't feel good about. Uh, and in the end, uh, when, when a year or two years into the engagement, uh, the physician's not happy, the organization may not be happy, um, the recruiter has already gotten paid, and they're on to the next, the next contingency, uh, the next, the next uh, engagement. Um, and there's no accountability back on the recruitment firm for a placement that doesn't work out. Uh, and it's just a, it's a sad state of affairs, and it's, it's one that I think, uh, back to uh, my point earlier, that I think physicians are plenty, 
plenty uh, capable of, uh, of choosing the opportunity that best fits them. By the same token, I think organizations are, are, are smart enough to, uh, uh, to be able to engage directly with physicians um, and, uh, and have those conversations about the opportunities that they have uh, available. Um, so I don't I, see I the suppose, value. I suppose one might make the argument you're having a physician shortage in many cases and you're trying to find people, you know, in a facility like the one that you were in charge of, uh, what does that look like, you know, in terms of financial incentives? I mean, what, if you're having a supply issue where there's, there's a relatively low supply and high demand, you know, how can you balance this desire to keep profitability of the company, the margin of of the the even if it's a nonprofit, you want to keep a buffer in there versus right. recruiting physicians. You know, how do you balance all of that? Well, it's tough. Uh, it, it's tough. I I, uh, I use a, a metaphor. Um, I, I call it the MLB metaphor. Major League Baseball is a is a, a, a passion of my family. Um, we love we love the Cincinnati Reds and. Many people would say, "Why in the world would you love the Reds?" <laughs> because, <laughs> because we're we're originally from Ohio, and that was our team growing up. My wife and I. Uh, anyway, so I, I use a metaphor to, to to teach my my team this is, um, and it goes back to my uh, my my uh, title of my blog post: uh, you know, "Revenue minus margin equals expense." Um, we only have so much uh, expense or so much uh, of our revenue we can deploy uh, in operating our facility, uh, and we have to generate a positive margin. Uh, so what it means is we have to start thinking differently. We have to become much more efficient. Um, our, our staff can no longer be inflexible uh, when they say, uh, well, I'm an ICU nurse. Uh, that's where I work. Um, I'm trained for ICU. That's the only place I'm going to work. Well, more and more hospitals are going to find that they're going to have to change their co- culture such that nurses are more flexible and, uh, and will be willing to work where, wherever the hospital needs them. Um, uh, that's, that's, that's one of the ways that hospitals are going to come to grips with uh, living within their means. Um, uh, physicians, to be able to align and, and help physicians understand the economics also causes uh, them to understand what their impact can be. How do they, how do they help? Uh, and one of the big areas in our capitated uh, um, reimbursement, uh, particularly from um, uh, the insurance or the payer side, is uh, everything, uh, everything counts on, on, uh, on, on, on the documentation. And uh, so we are you know, more and more training physicians how to, how to document thoroughly and completely. We never want to get paid one penny more than we earned, but we, cer- we certainly want to get paid every penny that we earned. Uh, and that only happens when you have thorough and complete documentation. And that is not taught in medical school. Uh, over and over again, whenever we would go through uh, clinical documentation uh, training with our physicians, I'd hear that from our doctors. Boy, they never taught me this in school. Well, and the fact of the matter is if they had taught it in school, then it would be uh, obsolete what they learned because the requirements <laughs> uh, change um, yeah. uh, over time dramatically. Uh, and so uh, so there's, a, there's a focus on revenue to be sure that we are being paid everything that we earned. Um, the documentation starts with physician's documentation. Then it goes to uh, the coders that actually code that documentation so that they're, they're picking up all of the pieces, all of the clues, all of the hints that the physician uh, included in their documentation. They're not, they're not missing anything. Uh, and and so, that's, so that's the revenue focus. 
Um, but more and well, more, let me, uh, let, me, let, me, let me interrupt on that real quick, Alan, because I know that, that that's a big sticking point for a lot of physicians. You know, they're, they're in the business to treat patients, right? And absolutely. I believe what you're referring to are EMRs and, and dealing with that whole thing. And we know that many physicians, you know, more time is spent on the coding and the EMRs than with patients, which um, often leads to, to super long hours and burnout and stuff like that. So I think many of us are aware of this problem and are experiencing this problem. Um, ha- have you seen any light at the end of the tunnel with that from your perspective as having been an administrator? Um, or is, is it just suck it up, buttercup, and <laughs> keep, no, keep your I- head down and keep working? No, I can't. <clears throat> I can't allow. I can't allow that. I have to. Uh, I have to to maintain some level of optimism. I really do. And one of the things that I I know is going to happen, at least I I, I am sure will happen, uh, is that uh, these uh, the EMR EHR. So those those terms are are used interchangeably um, across healthcare now. Electronic medical record or electronic health record. It's the same concept that. Uh, that system uh, that, that allows us to capture all of our care and treatment modalities, um, the documentation of those, um, and to do that in an electronic format so that uh, the information can be easily qu- queried and, uh, and that results can be standardized and, and compared so that one organization uh, can know how they stack up with regard to treatment of uh, uh, hip and knee replacements, for instance, or uh, cardiac procedures um, uh, so that you, you know where your opportunities are to improve. And we know um, that one of, the, one of the core tenets of quality is uh, to, to eliminate or, or reduce variation uh, um, across services. So, uh, so what we, you know, in, in, the, in the healthcare space, uh, in the hospital world, what we want to do is, you know, understand who are the, the top performers with regard to, to quality, and then how are they achieving the results that they achieve, and let's emulate those results. Well, the EMR EHR has made that Herculean task at least feasible, um, but it's been woefully uh, uh, messed up. <laughs> Uh, and so what I contend is the, the, uh, the, the market leaders in the EMR, EHR space currently, and I won't name them, um, but they're easily Google. We know who they are. <laughs> uh, yeah, we know who they are. The market leaders have, have priced their product so far above any sustainable uh, level um, that there is an enormous vacuum for innovation. And, and I, so I've, I've also blogged on, on this topic, uh, what I believe the future EMR, EHR solution is going to look like. And there's some features to it that are pretty, to me, are encouraging, and I hope will be encouraging to, to, uh, to physicians to hang in there, um, that, that uh, there's help coming. Um, and I've, so some of the features that I, that I talk about in my blog posts, uh, um, they're going to be built on a mobile platform to begin with. Uh, uh, this, this idea that hospitals have to invest tens of millions of dollars just in the infrastructure to get their buildings up to code or up to speed for one of the market-leading uh, EMR solutions um, is, just, is, is, is just not ludicrous. sustainable. Yeah. It's ludicrous. Well, I, uh, well, I, well, I, I have to imagine um, – I, w- I want to try and, and move towards the end of this conversation, but I do want to – uh, 
conclude this part of the conversation with, with uh, I do agree with you. I think help is on the way, but it's going to be slow. Uh, Amazon, by the way, is getting into the space. They have a project 1492, which is uh, getting into EMRs. So our, uh, our, our peoples that are, uh, have helped us with prime delivery and now bought Whole Foods might be entering into the space. We'll see what happens there. Um, well, I'd love to know from your perspective, Alan, your, your family is, has been a healthcare family. As a matter of fact, you had uh, told me that your daughter, who helped to put this podcast uh, together, that she is a nurse practitioner. So I would love to... I would love to know, as, as you were speaking with your daughter, as she was considering her career, uh, were you encouraging her to go in medicine? You know, how did that conversation go to uh, Absolutely. Uh, get, have your daughter be there? Absolutely. Well, first of all, my, my mother's a nurse. My, my, uh, my, I grew up in a nurse's home, and, uh, and I, I, I think the uh, career choice for nursing is, is just a, a, a wonderful choice for, for any young person uh, to consider at least. So I began to ask uh, uh, with my daughter. I began to ask when she was in, in early in high school, uh, "Honey, what are you what are you thinking of? You'd like to do?" And she said, "Well, I know I want to help people." Um, and uh, and I said, "Well, there's lots of ways you can do that. You could teach. You can you could be a physician. You could be a nurse. You know, what do you think you're drawn to?" She said, "Well, I don't think I want to go through all the schooling that a physician uh, you know has to go go through." Um, but I said, but you like the healthcare? Oh yeah, I like I like the idea of healthcare. I love what you know what Grandma's done with her with her nursing career, mm-hmm. and uh, so we we kind of landed early on the idea of uh, uh, that nursing was what she was interested in, uh, and then as she began going through her schooling, her training, uh, she she wanted to 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 see it through until she uh, achieved the master's level. Uh, she felt like that was. Um, kind of the point at which she uh, she uh, aspired to um, and uh, I've just been uh, super incredibly proud of of, uh, of her accomplishments and the way she's approached it uh, you know we uh, we we've uh, in 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 my market I uh, I'm aware that there are some uh, some of uh, uh, the uh, nurse practitioner uh, 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 trained uh, professionals and uh, physician assistants um, who uh, feel like they they have to be um, they have to be just as good as a physician, and uh, and I, I try to coach them and counsel them when I encounter this uh, mentality. You don't. There's no way you can be. You don't have the, the depth of training. You have some very good training, but you don't have the depth that, that the physician has. So don't be afraid to say, I don't know, and to seek help or to uh, consult a physician when you need to. You don't have to have all of the answers, and, uh, and I think that that was a – a help to my daughter as she was uh, beginning her practice in a clinic setting uh, when she would encounter uh, 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 chronic issues that she just wasn't sure about. She was quick to engage with a specialist that, that uh, could help uh, do the right thing with the patient or for the patient. And, uh, and I'm proud of her. She's, she's not one of those that thinks she knows everything. <laughs> um, well, but, it reminds me of, I had a conversation with uh, Alan Pitt, who uh, is someone who has a, another podcast called The Healthcare Pit Stop, and his, he, he actually encouraged his daughter not to go into medicine because uh, of some of the issues that have been ongoing and uh, where, where he saw medicine going. Um, so it's just interesting 
that uh, kind of two different dichotomies there. I encourage everyone to check out the, the podcast with Alan as well to, to get an idea of, of what we said there. Uh, now, you, of course, started your own podcast, the Caring for Healthcare podcast. So tell yes. us a little bit about that, Alan, as we uh, wrap up a conversation here. Wonderful, David. Thank you. Uh, yeah, we're very excited. Um, uh, we are finished recording our, our first three episodes, and uh, they were, are releasing. By the time this, uh, this episode of your, um, your podcast airs, <clears throat> we uh, should have already uh, had our first episode uh, uh, out in the public airwaves. Uh, so this is a, a collaboration. Uh, my daughter, Mindy Bess, and I uh, are working together, and we're uh, bringing uh, uh, practitioners into uh, um, into the uh, content. Uh, uh, we are um, engaging with them about uh, their practical issues and challenges that they face. Um, we are bringing uh, 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 the economic information that I've already kind of talked through a little bit into. Uh, that'll be part of our content. Some of the news of the day is uh, is uh, what we're going to also uh, uh, touch on uh, in each of our episodes. Um, and uh, I just I just love the idea of helping um, helping identify practical solutions uh, to to the to, to the challenges that uh, physicians um, and uh, and healthcare leaders in general are facing. Uh, so that's going to be our approach. Uh, we're excited about the uh, Caring for Healthcare uh, podcast um, and uh, and how that's going to help us uh, deliver what we. Uh, what, what's what's in our heart, and that is that we uh, we care about our healthcare system, and we know that it's uh, it's got some challenges, uh, some serious challenges. Um, but we think if uh, if enough of us who care uh, come together and have meaningful discussions, that that we can do a a lot better uh, at pointing our way uh, to the right solutions than some some uh, some policymakers or regulation makers. Uh, I think that's what we've been missing. Is, not enough, not a, not enough of us banding together and uh, and talking about what direction uh, healthcare should go. And I think we can do much better when we when we have those collaborations. I love it. I love it. I think that's a great great mission. Something great to be reaching for. And in this podcast, one of the things that I love to ask every single guest, Alan, is so many of our listeners. So many of us, you know, we, we really lack a business education, you know, the, the, the practical school of hard knocks. So uh, I know you've obviously been through quite a bit in trying to run uh, multiple hospitals. And, well, we don't have a month for you to uh, download everything in this podcast today and people can <laughs> check out yours. I would love to hear from you. You know, what is the, the best business lesson that you would like to pass on to us? Well, I, I think the, the, critical, uh, the critical thing that we all have to, to, to understand is what are the resources that we have to deploy, and then to be very uh, uh, jealous of, of whether or not we're, we're deploying those uh, to, the best of our, you know, the, the, to the, uh, the best that they can be deployed. Um, I, I, it's, never, it's never unwelcomed whenever I would have a physician say, what can I do? Uh, and uh, for me then to peel back the onion and say, here's our, here's our challenge. Uh, here's where we, here's, you know, we're getting paid on volume still. Uh, I know that the, uh, the future we hope is more of a uh, uh, focus on value for how we are, uh, how our, our monetization of healthcare services uh, occurs. Um, but in most places in the country right now, uh, it is a volume business. And uh, we can't completely step out of the volume boat uh, while we develop this new value world. 
Um, so for, uh, and I had this happen on numerous occasions. Uh, physicians uh, sit in my office and say, uh, Alan, how can I help? Uh, what can I do? And then uh, uh, that is just a remarkable blessing for any, any healthcare leader to realize that they have that level of partnership with physicians. And, uh, and it's what I wish for, uh, for, for the physicians listening, uh, any healthcare leaders listening, to, to have that as a, as a goal, is to, is to enter into a partnership arrangement. We can't do this as an employee-employer. It just doesn't work. Uh, physicians have worked way too hard and spent way too much resource uh, to get uh, the training that they've gotten uh, for us to just to diminish this all to an employee-employer relationship. This has to be a partnership going forward. Uh, so my challenge uh, from a business standpoint is be curious, uh, engage with, uh, with your organization's leadership, and just ask that question, how can I help? Uh, and I think they'll be amazed at some of the answers that come their way. Uh, and I also have to say on the other side, if they uh, find a closed door or, a, or, a, or a, an open hand <laughs> saying, Don't, uh, you know, we're not interested, maybe that's not the right organization <clears throat> for you. And uh, um, uh, so I think anyway, that's, that's another, another side of it. Um, find, a, find an organization, a place uh, that truly wants to, uh, to, to partner with, with its physicians. That's certainly, certainly been uh, my experience with the organizations I've been blessed to be part of. Well, that, that's great advice. And I think coming from an attitude of serving, coming from an attitude of, of curiosity, uh, can lead to much better quality conversations than when you're burned out and upset and in a, in a space where you can't express yourself in, in a way that might be received well. So I think there, there's some exactly. great advice there. Um, and so, Alan, and any other closing thoughts that folks should be aware of? I would just like to invite everybody to check out ProviderBay.com. This is our online membership community uh, where we hope to bring a high degree of support uh, for physicians, nurse practitioners, physician assistants, a private, secure space where they can, uh, through our discussion forums, tackle the, the, the practical problems that they face every day. All right. Well, very good. Well, thank you for being with us, Alan, so people can find you there on the website. Anywhere else that folks can get in contact with you? Yes, uh, our consulting website is adminologybay.com, uh, but all the links are crossed over from uh, in, in any platform. So you can find all of us, uh, all of our acti activities uh, on any of our sites: uh, Adminology Bay, Provider Bay, Execu Bay. Um, we're also on social media, so follow us on uh, LinkedIn, follow us on Facebook. Uh, just search for Execu Bay or Provider Bay or Adminology Bay. Um, uh, we're on Twitter. Uh, we are on uh, uh, Google Plus, even, uh, and uh, Instagram. Those are our primary platforms for social media. Uh, and so, some of our some of our blog posts we uh, we we uh, release that way through our, through social media. And uh, uh, so, hope everyone uh, will consider following us uh, in the social media world as well. All right. Very good. All right, my friends, well, that'll wrap up our episode for today. And if you are a physician or someone else servicing physicians, would love to have you get up on the soapbox, hop onto the show in the next Freedom Formula for Physicians podcast. So make sure to contact me, Dave, at drfreedompodcast.com or on my website, www.drfreedompodcast.com. 
freedompodcast.com. For the Freedom Formula for Physicians podcast, this is Dave Denniston. Thank you so much for joining us. And if you have a quick few minutes, I'd love to ask a quick favor of you. If you could hop on iTunes and do a review of the show, it helps a lot and would really mean a lot to me uh, to help keep this going. For the Freedom Formula for Physicians podcast, this is Dave Denniston. And remember, my friends, remember to slash your debt, slash your taxes, and live a liberated lifestyle. Hey, this is Dave Denniston, and I hope you love today's episode. If you do, and you want more ideas on achieving financial freedom, I am committed to helping you end your year right. And that's why, my friend, the last two months of the year here, I have a very special announcement for you. My newest book, The Young Physician's Guide to Money and Life, is about to become available. This book, The Young Physician's Guide to Money and Life, is over three hundred pages. Yes, 300 pages. It's packed with tons and tons of actionable content. It's pretty much everything you need to think about financially, whether you're a medical student, a resident, a fellow, a newly minted attending, or even if you've been practicing for a long time. So here's what you need to do. Text Dr. Book to 44222. And I will let you know the second it is available, and I will make sure to give you an early bird discount. And as I may have mentioned previously, uh, this book is especially near and dear to my heart because we are going to have a charitable mission for this book. The profits of this shall go two ways. One way to the Physician Support Initiative that was founded by my co-author, Amanda Liu, who tragically passed away, as well as to her daughter to provide some money for college. This is so important to me, so I'm only going to offer this as a discount through the end of the year, and then we're going to be selling the book at retail price, my friends. To snag your copy now and get on the early bird list, text Dr. Book to 44222. Again, text Dr. Book to 44222. Thank you so much. Enjoy.